Hi, kiddos, and welcome to Dad Feelings, the podcast about fictional father figures and real-life dads with real feelings. You know, it's been two years since I started this podcast. It's really hard for me to believe. We started on Father's Day 2016, and here we are, Father's Day 2018. And we almost made it to 100 episodes, but, you know, I would I wanted to sort of end on a Father's Day. And frankly, I don't think we have enough dad feelings to last another year. Um, this is the last episode of Dad Feelings, and I know it's kind of sad. Um, but I want to take this episode to kind of talk about what we've learned and talk about some of my favorite moments on the show and talk about where we go from here. So I want to start by talking about why the show's ending. And part of it is that I am really busy lately. And if you don't know, in the two years since we started this show, I've basically moved to being a semi full time writer. I guess that's called a part time job. <laughs> but um, yeah, I um, I never really wanted to be a freelance writer. Um, it seemed like a really hard life, and I had a really good thing going with these podcasts. And um, when I was living in Toronto, my rent was very low, and I was able to to make it uh, with just doing the shows, basically. And then I moved to New York, and um, you know, it's a little harder to get by in the city because your rent is is going to be higher usually. And I had to start writing. Um, I didn't really know what else I could do. Some of the the things I was going to be working on kind of fell through. And so I basically realized, okay, I have to start writing or I'm going to have to move back because I won't be able to afford to live here. So I got my first writing job at Mel Magazine, which is a a magazine. It's a men's magazine. And um, I write, if you haven't seen my pieces there, uh, you know, sometimes it's advice. Sometimes it's just like weird stuff related to men and masculinity that I'm interested in. And that kind of dovetailed really nicely with this show. There's a lot of overlap, I think, in, in kind of talking about masculine narratives. And where recently I've gotten work writing at Verve, which is a streaming site, where I've actually mostly just been talking about anime, which I don't really know much about, but it's been really fun. Um, So if you haven't seen either of those sites, my work on them, um, you can go check those out, and I hope you'll like them. But more importantly, I think I'm basically out of dad feelings. Um, I noticed myself in the last couple of months uh, sort of really pushing to find things to talk about. Uh, I feel like we sort of hit on most of the major narratives that I was interested in. And it just felt like if if we were going to keep doing the show, we would either have to shift to basically just talking to actual dads. And even that, I feel like there's a lot of themes that are in common. And, um, and definitely we didn't hit on everything. And I am going to talk about that uh, near the end of this episode, um, because definitely there are things that we missed, and that's kind of on me. But basically, I think we sort of covered everything I set out to do when we started this show. And so now I want to get to why I started this show. Um, so I don't think you do two years of a podcast about dads without having some dad feelings of your own. Um, and that is why I started this show. So I um, 
I'm probably going to get a little more personal here than I've gotten in the entire run of this show. Um, but I didn't have an amazing relationship with my dad growing up. Um, it, he, you know, he was raised um, by Catholic parents in a house with three brothers and, um, and went to Catholic school and was like raised by nuns basically. And it was, you know, it, it wasn't, I don't know if I would say that it was an abusive upbringing, but it was certainly a harsh one. And I think one thing you learn to do in that kind of situation is to sort of control your emotions to some degree and maybe let them out when you're um, under the influence, let's say. So my dad was, I mean, he was mostly there for me, although he was kind of one of those dads who was always late for things, always running around. And part of that was that he was trying to provide for us. Um, he had his own business when I was very young. He had a screen printing business. And then as that industry kind of faded, he tried to do a digital printing business. That didn't really work. And so then he went to work for a friend of his. And it was hard labor. He was working um, on like, um, interior like molding and things like that like wooden um wooden molding and stuff and it was hard work he was working like you know nine ten hours a day just doing manual labor um and then after that he ended up uh, moving into um, building and then he ended up in real estate um up north and he he moved away actually from my hometown and throughout all of this uh, my parents actually separated when i was 10 years old and so I was going back and forth between my my mom and my dad. And I, you know, I got along with both of them, but I had kind of a distant relationship with both of them. We didn't, we weren't the kind of family that talked a lot. Um, and even as I grew up and sort of became an adult, I kind of became a little more distant from them in that I, I was the first person in my family to go to college. I was a first generation college student. And um, then when I went to grad school, you know, I was definitely the first person in my family to do that. Uh, my parents both went to like trade schools um, and or like what we call college in Canada, which I guess would be considered community college in the U.S. And, um, you know, my mom um, was a homemaker when I was growing up and was also sort of a babysitter for a lot of other kids would look at the would look after them after school uh, when their parents were still at work. And my dad was basically doing some kind of manual labor for most of his life. Um, he was doing, you know, creative work with the sign, uh, the sign making. And then when that fell through, he sort of went back to, to physical labor. Um, and when I sort of became an academic, you know, I was around all of these people who had grown up in families where their parents had gone to college and their, their parents were professionals or intellectuals. They had books in the house growing up. I knew some people who discussed Marx with their family and that was completely alien to me. That was not the kind of life that I had. And even as early as high school, I, I encountered supportive teachers who uh, were into the arts, were into uh, you know, intellectual topics. And I really gravitated towards them. And I had two teachers in particular in high school who really kind of opened my horizons. And both of them were men. Um, one of them was named Mr. Spree, and he was my English teacher. 
And I had a class with him in my senior year that was a creative writing class. And it has to be said that I was not a great student in high school. Um, you know, I was I was a good student earlier on in my life. And then by by high school, I started slacking. I became bored. I was staying up too late and coming in really, you know, exhausted in the morning, sometimes late. Um, it wasn't that I really had any personal trouble. I think I was just personally, you know, trouble at home or anything. I was just, I don't know, depressed, I guess. Um, and um, so I didn't really give the full effort that I could have. But even so, in this creative writing class, you know, we read Hemingway short stories. Um, we read, uh, you know, all kinds of incredible stuff. And it really opened my eyes to literature, to Canadian literature, to short fiction, to poetry. And I started writing. Um, and kind of partially as a result of that, I ended up in a band and I was writing lyrics and they were terrible, but it was this outlet for expression that I, um, you know, hadn't really had since I was drawing my original characters back in middle school. And this teacher was so supportive of that and so like encouraging. Um, and I think he's one of the reasons why I ended up writing poetry. And, and I think I can trace a direct line between him and the poetry book that I put out with Nina Polari, A Total Mood Killer on Tiger Bee Press. And the second teacher I had was named Mr. Smith, and he taught economics and philosophy. And the way that he taught economics, like he definitely did teach, you know, the typical kind of um, rational choice, neoliberal sort of stuff, um, sort of just because he thought we should know it. But he was basically a Marxist and he really brought that stuff into the classroom and he really brought this kind of, you know, um, viewpoint that I had never really seen before um this really pro-working class this really like anti-inequality or yeah anti-inequality kind of perspective and i remember he even would do things like shut down students who were um you know calling each other slurs in class like he would stop the class and just be like like what is your problem with gay people or, or like why are you using those kinds of terms for women um, and just try to like break those things down. And he would get really personal with us too, like talk about his experiences as a man and how he negotiated like feeling like women were scared of him, but like how that was kind of on him to deal with and things like dealing with his alcoholic mother and realizing really early on that his parents were just people and having these really supportive older male figures gave me this kind of relationship with masculinity that I didn't have with my father. Um, and not that my dad wasn't a good guy. It's just that I felt like he didn't get me. Um, and we didn't really have much of a relationship until much later, until I was in my mid twenties when we started to get a little closer. And so the upshot of all of this is that I guess I do have daddy issues. Um, I think it's, I think they're a lot more common than people want to admit. And I think the pejorative, uh, that pejorative term really belittles the kind of difficult relationship that a lot of women have with their fathers and like a lot of just people have with their fathers. And 
that was kind of my motivation for doing the show. I sort of skirted around that a lot um, over the our run. But uh, I just wanted to lay it out for you that like, yeah, that's I don't think you do a show like this without um, having some kind of personal investment in it. And, you know, the other thing was that supportive portrayals of dads always made me cry growing up and sometimes still do. So I remember watching Dead Poet Society in Mr. Spree's English class and just like trying so hard not to cry because I didn't want to cry in public. And um, the way that, you know, that movie is about a boy who has a father who's played by Red from that 70s show who just doesn't get him you know, wants him to, to, you know, go into some job. And it's been a minute since I've seen the show and, um, or the movie. And he has this teacher who comes in played by Robin Williams, who is just really encouraging his class to like engage with art in a way that isn't rote in a way that isn't based in just like strict interpretation, but that's about enjoying it and like loving it. and encourages him to be in this play and his father is basically totally against it and as a result of his father's repression of his his you know desires to pursue all of these things he kills himself and that resonated so much with me not in the sense that like i ever felt like suppressed um, by my parents, but just like, wow, having this figure who really is just like enthusiastically supporting your interests and opening your eyes to all of these new things like that. It was so cool to me. And later on, when I watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the character of Giles, you know, Buffy is a character whose dad is absent and she has this this figure Giles who um is her watcher um as a slayer and he cares for her so much and you know it's it was sort of the first relationship that I saw on TV between this older male mentor figure and this younger woman that wasn't at all sexualized there's no like tension at all it's just he loves her basically as a daughter and helps her so much and there are really stressful moments where he has to betray her because the watchers want need him to to test her in some way and he just he can't do it um and that relationship to me is the most important one of that entire show and i talked about that quite a lot in the the giles episode and so those depictions, like having such like an intense reaction to those depictions, I was like, well, I need to talk about this somehow. Um, and I think this is maybe, you know, I was already doing Woodland Secrets, which is going to keep going, by the way, um, you know, indefinitely. I still really love doing that show. And we're never going to run out of material because it's all guest based. So uh, that show is is not ending. And I don't intend to stop podcasting. but. Um, but yeah, so I was already podcasting and it felt like this was a really good medium to explore this stuff in. So that's why I started the show. And now I want to talk a little bit about what we've learned over the course of the show. Maybe what I learned. I don't know if I want to be so uh, imperious as to say this is what 
you've learned, but I feel like I've I've kind of learned a lot and I had a lot of ideas going into the show. Um, a lot of ideas about how dads worked, about the kind of narratives we had about dads. Because actually when I was in grad school, part of, you know, I took um I was in sociology and um we were, you know, me and some of my colleagues were doing um stuff on masculinity. And so as a result, I sort of had these ways of talking about this stuff and like these ways of analyzing it um, that I brought into the show. And sometimes I stepped out of my lane a little bit and started talking about psychoanalysis and started talking about um, that kind of thing. And maybe that wasn't always the most successful, but I, I like to bring in things from other disciplines sometimes. And so some of the things I've learned, I mean, one of the biggest is that I think a lot of us want dads in trying times. And I think we saw this in the Knife Dad episode, which was a bonus. So if you didn't hear that one, um, you, it's still up. Uh, you can get it for, uh, for $3 a month on Patreon. And, um, you know, also in, in the Joe Biden episode, and that was kind of a real dad. Maybe he's more of an uncle, but you know, older male kind of figure. We had a very expansive definition of dads on this show. Um, I think, you know, in really difficult times and times where, um, where people feel really oppressed and where there is this really intense, um, you know, political will to, um, to oppress all kinds of people, a lot of us reach for dads as like this figure who is going to protect us or, or who at least is going to be sort of a calming influence. And I think that sort of, um, that sort of trend helps explain the popularity of some media figures right now. So I talked about in the da Knife Dad episode how the McElroys have this brand of really caring. Um, obviously, they didn't start off as dads, but they all are actual fathers now. And they sort of embody this kind of brand of, of like this idea of like a soft masculinity. And I talked about how that isn't actually new, that that's almost a cyclical thing. Um, it, it goes back to the 70s and 80s, how there was this bl blossoming alternative to these big macho masculine guys uh, that became really popular. And I think that's true today as well. Is, you know, we want kind of uh, a lot of us want these sort of understanding, patient, accepting dads who are, you know, knife dad is going to accept his gay daughter. Um, and that sort of, you know, speaks to how much these kinds of depictions resonate with us. But at the same time, these kinds of dads aren't going to save us. So someone like Joe Biden, who we like to romanticize as this cool dad, like he's really like sweet or like goofy. You know, he his politics that we talked about this with Joe McAray aren't great in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, even if these these people are more in line with, you know, the kinds of ideals that, that we carry, uh, like some of the depictions by the McElroys, like they're not going to save us. Right. And I don't think the McElroys would say that they're going to. I think they would say that they want to just provide this kind of space where people can feel um, feel good and feel like comfortable. But I think we tend to want to worship people who are these soft dad figures and we want to feel like dads will save us and they won't. We have to save ourselves. We have to be our own dads. 
And on that note, I think anyone can be a dad. That's something that we learned from the show. And there is kind of this decoupling that I've seen in the last few years of dadness from actual fatherhood and even from masculinity. I think anyone can be a dad at this point. I, I argued in the Samus Aaron episode that Samus from Metroid is a dad. I think the reason that the game Other M felt so awkward to people is that they were really trying to push this idea of Samus as a mother. And I don't think that that fits. Um, and I do feel like anyone can sort of claim dadness. And that's a complicated gesture, right? Because what does it do? I mean, I think it does a lot of things. On the one hand, it kind of destabilizes this idea that like a dad is is a man who has fathered a child and is like authoritative and patriarchal. And on the other hand, it sort of like erases some of that stuff and, and doesn't do the work of actually um, actually like undermining the family, like the, the heteronormative family, if that's something that we're invested in doing. So I think it's always complicated, but I think it's kind of cool that anyone can sort of be like, hey, I'm dad. Um, and I've definitely done that over the past few years. I feel like um, I am, I am, you know, I try to be like dad to people on Twitter sometimes. Um, and it's kind of interesting to sort of play with that kind of thing. And I think also... There is this allure of the understanding dad, like the the depictions that I was talking about earlier, your dead poet society, your Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That allure can be so intoxicating. This idea that we'll have someone who can replace, you know, our parents when we were a kid, who can give us that unconditional love and support. But the thing about that, and I talked about this a lot in conjunction with the book, The Drama of the Gifted Child, is that no one can ever make up for the loss of unconditional affection in childhood. Uh, we can try to seek that out, and many of us do, but eventually we're going to realize that those figures aren't perfect. And no one can actually give you unconditional support as an adult because, you know, you're an adult, you're going to fuck up. Uh, you're human. And so after childhood, if we didn't get that, we basically have to accept it. And we have to accept that probably our parents didn't get it either. And that's why we didn't. And we have to be able to look that in the face and, and kind of deal with that, which is so hard. You know, it's such a hard thing to do. And a lot of us spend so much of our lives trying to seek that out in relationships, trying to prove to ourselves that we are worthy by seeking out accomplishments and we just don't feel validated as human beings outside of any of those things and um without doing that work um we can just spend forever chasing that um and so maybe that ties into the idea of being being your own dad and like you are your own dad and um you have to sort of learn to give yourself that regard of just be like I as a person, I am valued, like I'm valuable. Um, and that's independent of praise or admiration or success, which again is not an easy thing to do. Another thing I've learned is that I love depictions of fatherly mentorships without sexual overtones. We talked about this with Buffy. Another big one is in 30 Rock. 
Jack and Liz, right? Jack Donaghy becomes Liz's mentor over the course of the show, and they have no sexual chemistry or tension. And I feel like that's something that a lot of media wants to do is have this kind of will they or won't they relationship between the older male figure and the younger woman. And that to me is often kind of uncomfortable. I mean, it can be fun in the right circumstances, but it can also be kind of awkward if they're trying to blur those lines. Um, And something like 30 Rock, where there is absolutely none of that. And whenever it comes up or whenever it's referenced, that both of them are so disgusted by that idea. Um, And I kind of love that. Um, Obviously, Liz's character is kind of disgusted by sex in general, which is sort of weird. But like, I do appreciate that when it comes to her and Jack, they're both just like, Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> um, it's so great. Um, and not that I think age differences in relationships are, um, you know, always bad or that um, you can't negotiate relationships across power dynamics because basically every relationship is negotiated across a power dynamic, whether it's gender or race or age or whatever. But still, there is something that I love about this. Um, like the Buffy's and the the 30 Rocks. Um, And again, in 30 Rock, that relationship to me is the most important one uh, in the show. Another thing about depictions of dads, um, especially in commercials, but also in sitcoms, which we didn't talk a lot about just because I haven't seen a lot of modern sitcoms. We talked about some of the older ones. Um, We talked about Home Improvement. We talked about Frasier. But in some of these shows and some in some commercials, uh, especially about cleaning products, um, there's these depictions of dads as really clumsy or inept, and they're they're portrayed as like to- being totally unable to run a home, to take care of kids, to juggle all this stuff, and a lot of you know conservative commentators will say, well, this is an anti-male bias and like this is saying that dads are incompetent and like this is a you know it's it's uh yeah it's anti-male and i agree that it shows dads as incompetent but i disagree that it's anti-male because i think what these depictions do is reinforce conservative ideas about innate parenting abilities i think like these depictions basically say oh yeah, dads are terrible at parenting and we should just accept that. Like, of course they are. They're men. Like, (laughs) they don't have any innate desire or ability to care for children, which is bullshit, right? Like, that's what these do is they normalize this idea that women should be taking care of kids and men should be working, which is fucked up and I hate it. And these depictions are you know, serve to do the opposite, I think, of what a lot of more conservative critics would say they actually do. Dads can be one of the scariest things in the world. And I think a lot of us know this already. But, um, you know, one thing that we talk about when we talk about like masculinity under patriarchy is this idea that men are expected to keep their feelings under control at all times. And that in a sort of feminist utopia, men would have access to this full range of feelings. And I kind of disagree with that, you guys. Um, I think that men are allowed total free reign to their emotions under patriarchy. 
Men are allowed to be explosively angry. They're allowed to sulk. They're allowed to do all of these things that if women do, women are seen as bitches or as hormonal or as all of these negative things. And um, men are totally allowed and expected to be all over the place emotionally. And um, this also this idea that, oh, men would have a greater range of feeling in a feminist utopia, like it just kind of centers men again, right? It's just like, men will gain all these things. Um, and like, one of the reasons dads can be scary, I think, is because they're unpredictable emotionally. Um, even if it's not a kind of abusive situation, this idea that dads can sort of fly off the handle or can just be like, really angry at the drop of a hat is like so scary. And it's just like, you know, I think that one of the best examples of this, and it, it is a stepdad, which is a little different, but um, in the Buffy episode, Ted, that we talked about pretty recently, God, that character is more terrifying than probably any villain in the show um, as just this stepdad who just like flips out and like actually attacks Buffy at some point. Um, and is really controlling and horrible. And wow, dads can be scary. Um, and part of that is because men are allowed to be and kind of expected to just not even rein in their emotions or consider their effects on other people. Men are just allowed to sort of feel an emotion and then act on it, um, which is not great. Speaking of men and dads being dark and like angry figures, I feel like we just can't handle the idea of a kind older male figure. And so we have to come up with kind of fucked up backstories or legends about them to, to kind of make ourselves more comfortable. And I think you can see this most clearly in the examples of Bob Ross and Mr. Rogers. Um, you know, Bob Ross was in the military and there is like this prevailing myth that he was a sniper with all of these confirmed kills, which is not true. You know, Mr. Rogers, there is the myth that he, you know, gave the finger in his last episode. Um, also untrue. There are myths that both of these men were secretly, um, you know, if not terrible people, then like really like aggressive or like actually hated their audiences. Neither of those things are true. They were just great people. Um, they were really kind. They worked to sort of like, cultivate this um, pacifistic kind of calmness and that is so admirable to me but it's so telling the way that we can't handle that we have to like have all these fucked up bob ross portrayals on youtube we have to have parodies of mr rogers and i'm really excited about that mr rogers film coming out because i think it sort of gets into some of this stuff um but you know, they, neither of them were perfect. They were humans, but they've worked so hard to um, to be generous and to be kind and to be supportive presences. And Mr. Rogers, especially so for children. And if you want to cry, um, look at Mr. Rogers' testimony in 1969, um, where he's defending PBS to the Senate subcommittee. It's It's incredible the ways that he talks about how children need to be validated and need to be, you know, need education on how to deal with and experience emotions in a healthy way. It's so good. Um, and 
and it's funny how we need um we need to sort of bring these men down to our level to like to deal with that fact um and i think that speaks to a lot of the ways that we are skeptical about kind dad figures for a good reason probably And finally, I want to talk about some of the dad narratives that we've seen as we've gone through the show. Um, I think one of them is protective single dad learns to let go. Uh, We saw that in Finding Nemo. Uh, Another one is dad goes on a rescue quest, sometimes um, dying as a result. So something like Logan, also, also Finding Nemo. Dad learns to understand his child. Um. A Goofy movie, I think, is a really great example of this. Uh, Dad sacrifices so much at work that he doesn't get to know his kids. This we talked about a little bit in our Songs About Dads episode, which actually never got a sequel. (laughs) Whoops. Um, But, uh, you know, the song about the cats in the cradle and all that, um, that was kind of an example of that. Dad is the fun one. Ooh, um, that's basically the fodder for every sitcom in the 90s where the mom is sort of the nag and the dad is the fun, wild one. So we're looking at The Simpsons, Home Improvement, all kinds of shows like that, right? That's sort of the whole basis for that genre. Also, I think one last narrative is that a failure to appease your dad or to impress your dad is still a kind of masculine hang-up for a lot of guys. Um, and there's a lot of media definitely about guys trying to, or sons trying to impress their dads or finally win acceptance from them, um, which is kind of a tough thing that a lot of men struggle with. Now I want to talk about a few of my favorite moments on the show. Obviously, I enjoyed every minute of it, but these are some of just my favorite moments from various episodes that. Um, where I learned something or, you know, had a really intense experience or um, just laughed a lot. Um, the first one is in the the recent Logan episode with LB Tufel, we both almost cried <laughs> about that movie. Um, it's extremely intense. And again, like I said in the episode, if you had told me that an X-Men movie could make me cry, I wouldn't have believed you. But then again, it wasn't really an X-Men movie. It was kind of a Western about this dad, this, you know, this older man who's falling apart, just like finding something to live for and then die for in this basically daughter. Um, Well, literally daughter in that um, she comes from his genetic material. Guys, we had Paul fucking Tompkins on the show. Um, That's what the F stands for. As far as I know, We we talked about Luke Skywalker. That was incredible because Paul was around for the first run of Star Wars. Um, you know, I don't think when it was in theaters, I'm not sure, but he had this kind of perspective on it that in ways mirrored my own of seeing the show, of seeing the movies when I was a kid in the 90s. And that was so incredible. I can't believe I got to talk to Paul F. Tompkins and he was so sweet and so great. And I really appreciated him giving the time to... um to what is probably a smaller show than he usually um, guests on. Talking about Riverdale dads with Morgan Page and Brittany Spanos, that's a show that I don't know much about, but, you know, there are so many dads on that show and we got into so many of them. Um, and having two guests was so much fun because they brought different perspectives um, and, you know, 
raised a lot of unexpected points about a show that I wasn't that familiar with. Kyle Reimergarten was on um, kind of a while ago, and he talked about being a dad, but also a teacher and how he um, how he talks about like a lot of really difficult stuff with his kid and with um, or with his kids and with his students. And it was really inspiring to me. Oh, my God. So many good dad media came out while we were doing this show. Dad of Light, the show where a kid tries to reconnect with his father by secretly playing Final Fantasy with him. That show was so great. Um, It was on Netflix, and I think it's still it should still be on there. And if you haven't seen it, it, it's only like 10 episodes, I think. It's really funny and sweet um, and has a ridiculous plot. Um, It was so great. And then like, what else? Uh, Dream Daddy came out while we were doing the show. And I was just like, well, I have to play this because we're definitely doing an episode on it. And we had two of the creators on the show. Um, and it was so interesting to talk to them about how they um, decided what kinds of characters to include and, and what kind of relationship they wanted to embody between the main character and his daughter. Uh, oh, my God, My Hero Academia. Um, when that show came out, All Might was like, wow, what a great dad figure. He's so supportive of his like his mentee. Um, and he's just like this like figure who is just shows up to make everything okay, which kind of made me tear up a little and having Victoria holding on to talk about that was incredible because she's such a fucking star um, and such an anime expert. Um, We had some of my favorite podcasters on the show. So we mentioned Paul F. Tompkins or I mentioned Paul F. Tompkins. We had Dave Shumka from stop podcasting yourself, which is my favorite podcast ever. He talked about George Costanza's dad from Seinfeld. We had Justin McElroy on to talk about Pee Wee Herman, which is a character that I never would have thought of in a million years to feature. God, that was so good. That was like one of the very earliest episodes. Um, I would really recommend going back to that if you haven't heard it. We had some dads on who came from perspectives that were totally unique and cool we had Charlie Demers, who is one of my favorite podcast guests and um, one of my favorite authors as well. And he talked about, you know, having a mixed race child and also sort of trying to be a feminist Marxist dad and what that entailed, which is so cool. We had Esper Bergman talk about being a queer dad and like dealing with gender and kids and like how to navigate that stuff, which was wild. So many Star Trek dads. And we did have one unreleased episode, which maybe one day we will publish on this feed. Um, It was a bonus episode. Maybe it'll just come out as a free episode. But so many Star Trek dads, right? I got deep into Star Trek while we were doing this show. I started watching TNG. I've almost finished Deep Space Nine. I've been kind of leaving it for a while. But Cisco is one of my favorite depictions of a father on TV. Um, this sort of just perfectly caring relationship, this tender relationship between a father and his son. And some episodes of that show are just so heart-wrenching. The episode where Jake um, is trying to stop his dad from being stuck in time. Oh my God. Talk about touching, right? Talk about like really intense, like some of the best television about fathers and sons I've ever seen. Um, what else? Oh, we had... One of my favorite internet personalities, uh, 
Clement, uh, the great Clement. Um, he's a YouTuber who I've been watching for almost 10 years. Um, you know, he's an expert on Sonic the Hedgehog, and we had him on to talk about Dr. Robotnik or Dr. Eggman, depending on your, uh, if you're nasty, I guess. Um, and that was so much fun getting to talk to someone that I had been watching and listening to for years and years and getting these like details on that character that I had never heard of before because I'd never read the Sonic comics. Uh, revisiting some of my favorite shows about dad figures. Um, so we, I talked about 30 Rock already, but also The Addams Family, uh, those movies. And then I got to see the TV show uh, that Nail and Blake suggested I watch, which was also great. Um, and also revisiting Bored to Death, which is one of my favorite Ted Danson shows, where Ted Danson is just this weird, mad god stoner. Um, and it's so, so perfect. And it's one of my favorite shows about Brooklyn as well. Um, so many amazing moments. I've left out so many, but um, it was a real trip. It was a real ride. Um, but now I want to talk about a few blind spots that we had in doing the show. The first one is that there are a lot of classic movies that we left out. So I've already mentioned Dead Poet Society quite a bit. That's one movie that I could just never find the right guest for. And I did have one in mind, but, um, you know, I was going to ask my friend Mara Wilson, but I wasn't sure at the time if it would be too personal for her. Um, we just, I could never find, uh, I could never, you know, come up with a good guest. And I, it wasn't one that I wanted to do on my own. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird, obviously another really important one. Gregory Peck as Atticus Finch. Um, that was another one where I just hadn't seen that movie in years and years, and I never really got around to rewatching it um, or rereading the book. There are a lot of prestige TV dads. I know that dads are such an important focus of a lot of these shows, and I did try and cover a lot of them with the last episode we did, which was with my roommate Eric Thurm, who is a TV expert extraordinaire. And we covered a lot of them, so I, I kind of wanted to hit on those before the show ended. Um, but I think there are still some that we missed, and each of those probably could have been its own episode. Um, we didn't really talk to single dads. Um, we maybe hit on a few depictions of them, but I didn't talk to any. Um, and that's a topic that I think is really interesting. And also, we really didn't talk to or feature enough dads of color. Um, which is something that I just have to take the, the, the hit for because that was just my bad. Um, and, um, you know, there are other kinds of types of dads that I would have liked to feature more and I just didn't get around to doing. I, um, um, yeah, I, uh, that's some slack that I, I should have picked up and I didn't. So where do we go from here? Um, this feed is staying up and don't hold your breath for them, but there may be occasional episodes. There definitely are a couple that were never released and we may finish those up and publish them here. And if something comes along that is irresistible to me, then that may also become an episode. But as far as uh, the formal run of the show is concerned. The show is over as of this episode. I want to recommend a show that um, it's a topic that came up a lot and we had considered doing a sort of month or sort of an alternate universe episode about it. And that would be kind of a mom feelings show. 
And a friend of mine actually started a show like that. So Julian Jarbo started a show called Mothers and Others. And if that's the kind of content that you crave, I would really recommend subscribing to that show. Um, It gets into a lot of like esoteric spiritual stuff as well and talks about kind of religious figures. And I think it's really cool. Um, It's a really great idea for a show. And um, I think it's the sort of natural successor to the show. Um, As far as the network goes, uh, like I said earlier, Woodland Secrets is staying in perpetuity. Um, We have some great guests coming up. I feel like we've had some amazing guests recently. Uh, That show isn't going anywhere. I maybe want to try some new things with it, but um, the format is basically staying the same. Um, It's sticking around. And is a show going to replace Dad Feelings? Possibly. we have been talking about some ideas for other shows and those plans were kind of put on hold for a while while Nick, our producer, was uh, was sort of taking a, a leave from the network. But she's coming back pretty soon. And that means that, you know, we may have some new formats of shows to play around with. Um, you know, the, the thing I said at the beginning of this episode still holds, which is that I am a lot busier with writing than I was when we started this show. Um, But we've been talking about bringing other people's podcasts on. Um, You know, some people have really been clamoring for the return of something like a papal bull. And um, I actually have another roommate right now who also is a podcaster. So you might see something down the line that features uh, her or Eric. Um, We'll see how that goes. Uh, That's probably going to be, you know, at least a couple of months, but um, maybe in the fall. Kudos. Um, tune into Woodland Secrets for now. And uh, definitely, um, if you haven't joined the Discord for the network, uh, you can do that um, by, um, you can always just at me or DM me for an invite. Um, or if you're a Patreon member, you can always um, just message us on there. Um, again, like all of the bonus episodes for this show are staying up just like the main feed. So if you haven't listened to them and you want to kind of complete your collection, uh, it's really, it's like $3 a month and um, there's a whole mess of them at this point. So uh, you can go back and listen to all those at your leisure. And I think that's about it. That about wraps things up. Um, Thank you so much for joining me on this dad journey. it's been so much fun. Um, I've been so like, you know, just humbled by the reception that the show has gotten. Um, we've had so many great guests. I've learned so much. I hope you have too. Um, and I think, you know, the real dads were the friends we made along the way. They were inside us all the the whole time. Um, we just needed to believe in ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. So for the last time, uh, I'm Merritt, and I will say bye, kids. Dad Feelings is hosted by Merritt Kay and produced and edited by me, Nick Bravo. Dad Feelings is a part of Stay Me, the world's only podcast network. We're entirely listener-supported. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a patron of Stay Me at dadfeelings.com slash support. Our theme music is Swell Content by Speedy Ortiz, off their album Foiled Gear. Thanks to Car Park Records and Sadie Dupuis for letting us use it. Please mention us on Twitter 
We're at Dad Feeling and at Stay Mean Co. Or rate and review us in iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening.